This is Mike. And Christina. This is Blind Chick Living Interviews with care partners. Patients. And pretty much all in between. Anybody that that helps with medical. Yep. Anybody that grows up with it. Yep. And again, these are opinions. We are not doctors. Please do not take what we say as fact. Yep. Same with the interviews. It is their journey and it's their journey alone. If you have questions, follow up with your team. Yep, yep. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, this is Mike. And Christina. And we are interviewing who? Gabby Morales. We're really excited about this one. She is a rock star. Um, Gabby, I just want to kind of say that at the beginning when I started my group, it was four people exactly like Gabby. And it was just because there were so many questions that people have. And they just, it, it's amazing what people don't know about dialysis. And reaching out and being able to watch someone thrive. But we'll get more into that. But uh, Christina, go ahead. All right, Gabby, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. All right. Give it a go. I'm I'm Gabby. Um, I was born with uh, kinks in my ureter, so one of my kidneys partially formed and the other uh, did not. Um, The function that I did have, I was able to live until I was about two years old. Well, I mean, I'm still living now, but I was able to live until about two years old with that function before I went on dialysis. Um, I did um, inpatient hemo in the All Children's Hospital in St. Pete starting now, and then eventually um, I had problems with my catheter because they don't do fistulas and stuff like that for younger children. Um, So I had problems with my catheter that I had for a while, and so they recommended PD. So my parents actually, my dad worked their night shift, so they would take turns doing PD with me um, at night. Wow. So I started out doing that. Yeah. And Where then, would we be um, without our parents, right? Literally, I don't even know. And they're still with me to this day, like helping me do stuff. My dad's here with me in New York now with um, the second transplant. So So when you were doing uh, PD, what machine did you use? Do you know? I don't remember the exact machine, but I know there's since there's been no innovation, it's literally the same machine that I used when I did PD just a couple years ago. Okay, cool. So I'm thinking probably Liberty. Yes. So yeah. it's kind of crazy that, you know, that we haven't had any updates and it's been over 20 something years. Well, yeah. what's crazy is there actually has been, but they've put it on the shelf. Um, Baxter came out with a new OPD machine that actually talks and it's phenomenal, phenomenal for traveling. But uh, Fasinius was putting one out also and they shelved it. It was one that was oh, going to wow. compete. And it was just this tiny, tiny machine. And, you know, because you, you for sure know what, you know, the Liberty machine and all that stuff, yeah. how heavy it is. And, and it's not too bad, but compared to the newer ones, the new Baxter machine, it's night and day. So, yeah. Are you guys talking about the Tableau? I've heard about that. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, no, 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 no. Tableau, Tableau's home hemo. Yeah. So oh, there's okay. uh, Liberty, okay. which is Pacinius. They, Liberty is the PD machine. And then there's Baxter. Baxter is usually you only hear about two PD companies. One's Baxter and one's Liberty. And when Christina was on PD, we had both. So we we had one and then insurance changed. So we went to the other one. And then we went back to 
uh, Liberty. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had Liberty as well. I never did Baxter, but I've seen it, and it wasn't my fate. When I went to the hospitals, that's all they had, so we had to use that. Oh, and okay, actually, yeah. ha- I have some stories about being in the hospitals and not even being able to get dialysis, to be mm. honest, because it's not, you know, easily accessible, or they don't have the staff that knows what to do. Yeah, so, and, so that's and, another issue. Well, that that bothers the hell out of me because when and you're not allowed to help. So I'm sure your parents were just chewing their nails, like I was with Christina, when mm-hmm. if she was in the hospital with PD it's amazing how many people don't know what PD is and they bring in a nurse that did some training like 10 years ago or something. And they're trying to connect to this machine that we do daily, but they wouldn't let me help. And so it's kind of frustrating. And when you do get someone, it's, you, you just don't feel that they have the exact educational care that, that they should have for that machine. Exactly. I spent, I think it was two or three years ago, I was still in PD and I spent Thanksgiving in the hospital. And I think I went easily like three to five days without dialysis because they didn't have a machine. They didn't have, um, I was on Fresenius at the time and they had to do the different connector for Baxter. They didn't have that on hand. It was a smaller hospital back in St. Augustine. So I get it. But at the same time, and then they asked my mom, who's in her 60s, to go and bring my machine. And they wouldn't even offer, they didn't have, quote unquote, the staff to help her bring up my supplies and my machine up to my room. And technically, they weren't even supposed to do that because you're not supposed to, at least they told me that you're not supposed to bring your own stuff or do it yourself. I was going to say that was amazing because we fought to try to bring in, uh, at least on this last hospital stay that to bring in our next age machine. And, and it's amazing because we were pretty close. But yeah, I'm actually surprised they told her to go get your machine because that usually never happens. They yeah, they had nothing. Oh yeah, it, I was there for at least a week with um, colitis and it's been, you know, X amount of days without dialysis and my weight was going up, I was getting puffy, you know, my blood pressure was up. So they're like, you need dialysis. And I'm like, well, yeah. Um, but I actually didn't spend long in that hospital. And then I decided not to go back there and took the drive to Jacksonville to go to Mayo. And they were actually pretty good. I'm not going to lie. They had somebody that was knowledgeable. They had a brand new machine that the one that spoke to you and everything. And I had a nurse to do it all for me. And she stayed with me the whole time. And so that was pretty nice. That's awesome. I'm grateful that I found them. (laughs) All right. Well, let's go back to when you were a kid and doing PD. And uh, go ahead and start through, going through that process again. Okay. Um, so I, my parents used to do my PD in their room at night, um, you know, to not disturb my brother and whatnot. And it was just easier to have me in there as a child. And then um, a month before my fifth birthday, my dad donated his kidney to me. We were actually four out of the six antigens of a match. Oh, wow. um, so we were really close. And his kidney lasted me 18 years until I... Um, you know, just fell back into dialysis in 2015. I, um, I started notice it was kind of a, I knew what was happening, but I was kind of, you know, in denial about it at the same time, because my feet were swollen. I was exhausted. I would fall asleep at work. Do they, and, do they know why you ejected it? Well, no, it lasted 18 years. Well, no, I know. Yeah. But do they, um, do they know not why? Not really. Not okay. really. It was, so it was just, just, my dad was 38 the at the time when he, gave it to me so you know they just assume it was you know age or it's time ran out so okay 18 years that's amazing yeah so. that's great yeah it was so almost I two have decades a for you. 
Sure. So when you did your PD when you were younger, what kind of memories do you have? What do you remember, like, child point of view? Are there any... I don't remember much. I remember yeah. being in my parents' room and I remember, you know, hearing the machine beep at night and being groggy and then one of my parents getting up to, you know, see what's going on and adjust. But that's it. I don't have much memories of, I have more memories on um, being in the hospital doing hemo than I do PD. And that might be because it was done at bed, um, at the bedside, you know, when I was going to sleep. Do you remember the tube at all coming out of your stomach or were you just too young? I don't. I was about three, three, four years old. Um, I okay. remember I got pseudomonas because I, uh, we did water guns and I ended up getting pseudomonas because of that. And they actually told me I might not ever be able to do PD again. So when oh, I man. went in my adult life to go do my PD scan and, you know, see if I was able to, they were like, wow, you have no scar tissue at all. Like you're a perfect candidate. So I was really lucky in that aspect to be able to do it. And I was able to do that for about six and a half years. Wow. wow that's good. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so you you crash and you are having to start dialysis again. Mm -hmm. I started uh, during in that crashing oh, process. Was this something where you just landed in the hospital, or did you know it was coming? So I was in denial at the same time as like I kind of knew what was going on, but I remember going to Tampa General and there was a nephrologist there, and he walks in and he goes are you feeling okay? And I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm tired. Why? He's like, your creatinine is 18. Oh my like, God. Is that oh. bad? I know. I was like, is that bad? And he was like, yeah, you need to go to dialysis. And I'm like, cool. I'm going to call my parents. I'll be back, you know, in a few days, you know, and he's like, no, you don't understand. You have to go now to the hospital. So he cleared his schedule and walked me over to the hospital. I called my parents, which that was the most dreaded phone call, especially to my dad, because he's oh. my donor. And I felt like, you know, I was, you know, failing him sort of. So yeah, I called no, him. I get it. He came immediately from California. My mom came immediately. And I have like this connection with this doctor because he stayed with me the whole time because I was so terrified, um, you know, and I went into emergency surgery to get my catheter. And, and ironically and enough, oh, real sorry, quick, sorry. how old were you when this, when all this happened? I had just turned 21. It was okay. a month after my 21st birthday. Oh, dang. Yeah, so it wasn't that, I mean, I had fun during my birthday, but the afterwards was like, whoa, it, it all just came crashing down. And I thought it was the end of the world at the time. Mm -hmm. But ironically, I got my first catheter in. And when I got back to the room, I was screaming in pain. And the poor um, transporter guy was like, I didn't touch her. It wasn't me. And oh. I was just screaming in pain. I was in pain for hours and they were, they couldn't figure out what it was. So then finally a doctor came in and he's like, I don't think it was placed correctly, the CBC. So they take me back. The CBC or the PD catheter? No, the CBC. Because at this point I started out at uh, in-center since I crashed into dialysis. They gave oh, me a CBC okay. to start yeah. me in the hospital. Oh, wow. And okay. turns out it wasn't put in correctly. I go in for um, a second one and the surgeon they gave me the anesthesia in my CVC. And so oh. I still wasn't asleep by the time I was on the table and uh -oh. the surgeon comes in and he's like, why are you not asleep? I'm like, I don't know. That's a you problem, not me. And um, we think what had happened is he gave me some more medicine and then he's like, okay, I'm going to start. And I, th what we think happened is that he started and he nicked a artery of mine and I bled into my lungs and ended up in the ICU. 
Um, I don't, and I got five liters of blood. I don't remember much. And is that, that is that when you were screaming in pain? Oh, that was after, but I was screaming in pain um, because of the, I had like back pain from it for some reason for it being oh like placed God. wrong. So, and so did they explain I, to you how it was placed wrong? No, no, they were just like you know, sorry about it. Huh? <laughs> and, okay. Yeah. Wow. And um, it was yeah, it was a crazy journey in the beginning. So I got five liters of blood, and I woke up um, in the middle of surgery actually to, I, there was a chaplain in there that was praying over me. Um, they had my surgeon and then there was a heart surgeon next door that had to stop his surgery and come over and help save me because I coded on the table. Oh my gosh. And my, this was supposed to be an outpatient procedure and my parents were in the waiting room and they heard code blue and saw the surgeon like running out to them. So they instantly knew that it was me. Um, so I think in the beginning, I went through at least three catheters because after that, it was working. I got dialysis. I um, was moving to Fort Myers with my dad at the time. So when we got discharged, we were making that drive back. And like an hour into it, I looked down. I was wearing a white tank top and my whole tank top was covered in blood. Oh my so God. we had to turn around and go back to Tampa General and where the nurses told me that that was normal. And my dad's like, no, that's pretty sure that's not normal. No. So then they fixed it, and I ended up going to Cape Coral. And do you, um, you know how they fixed it? No, they. I think they just replaced the new one. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, they didn't tell me much in that time, or I don't remember. I'm not sure, but we went to Cape Coral, and then that one wouldn't pull by the time we got to Cape Coral, and I did my first in-center treatment. So we had to go back to Tampa, oh. and I finally got one that was working and I did in center hemo at that point as an adult I believe somewhere around six to eight months before they offered um PD as in as an alternative because I was not handling in center well at all my blood so, pressure spikes in center so do you know why they 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 took so long to offer you PD again I think that they just wanted to wait for my levels to, you know, um, yeah. even out, see where I was at that point and see if I was even a candidate for that. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I did that about six to eight months and then we did the PD and that was perfect from the beginning, to be honest. And I started right away and um, I did that for six and a half years until I started noticing I wasn't feeling myself because when I was doing PD, I was able to work. I was going to school. I lived on my own. And eventually I started feeling like really run down, but it didn't really occur to me that I wasn't getting adequate dialysis. I just kind of thought, you know, this yeah, is you what happens. Yeah, right? Yeah. And then I started getting these really bad stomach pains and the hospital in St. Augustine told me it was colitis, but then I found out through all the cultures and testing and stuff that I actually um, had a fungal infection in my oh. catheter. So that was unfixable. So they had to pull that. And that was very traumatic because I did refuse to go on in, in center again. I did not want that at all. Yeah. And when I got to in center, it turns out that, and it was funny too, because I told myself and others throughout the years, when they offered me home hemo, I was like, absolutely not. No, not happening. No. 
turns out I disliked in-center hemo even more than the idea of sticking myself. Yeah, it's yep. true. It's, it's, yep. it's amazing the motivation of yeah. having to do yeah. in-center because we were actually just talking about this the other day where in-center works for some and that's great, but some, it just doesn't work. It's just not enough it, dialysis. Yeah, it's and it you just end up being miserable and getting sicker and sicker and it, yes. I, I, I can't really say why one person thrives on Incento and the other person just tanks. Well, so. and I think there's something to be said about like, and I'm sure Gabby will understand this. When you're in your 20s and 30s doing dialysis, you still have to live. You still mm-hmm. have to get yourself up and get to your priorities. Like when you're older and you're a senior, you can actually lay down and take naps, but like I was a single mom when I was on dialysis. And so I didn't have the option to go home and sleep. I had to keep moving and in center is horrible for that. Yes. I, um, I didn't handle in center at all. My blood pressure would spike. I would get these God awful headaches. I remember mm-hmm. when I lived in Fort Myers with my dad and I did in center, I couldn't even drive myself. And if I did drive myself, I would have to put my sunshade up and have my AC on full blast. Cause it's Florida and just sit there and chill out and try to sleep in my car at least for like an hour before I could make it home. And it was literally like a seven minute drive home. Cause you were so, so dehydrated. Was, yeah, it, it was insane. And another thing in center too is, you know, they ask you what you want to pull, but let's be honest, how many times did they, when, how often do they really listen to you? Yeah. Before, until they do their own thing. Yeah. And then you have, of course, like they make mistakes and I've had times where they put in like to take off five kilos and an hour into treatment, you're dying. Like what the heck is going on? And it's because they put in the wrong number. Yes. And I have to be diligent too, because my second time in center before I started home hemo, um, I had to, you know, I would get to my chair and there was an incident where I had, it said my name on the chair. So it was my documents but I looked at my heparin dose and it wasn't my heparin dose. And I'm like, Hey, I think you gave me somebody else's heparin dose. And they're like, Oh yeah, good catch. So, you know, these are little things that you have to be mindful of in center. And it's, and it's one thing, if I do something wrong, then that's on me. That's my mistake. But I get upset when it's other people and I don't want to have to take that out on them. Yeah. So I'm exactly. We, 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 we talk about that all the time. Well, you know, be diligent about knowing what your care is. Don't just sit there and allow them to give you something without telling you what it is or the and amount, much, you know, yeah. just to be informed of what they're doing. Cause it's like, just like what you said, you know, you got a new tech or whatever, and they're supposed to give the person next to you that dose. And it's like, if you, it could be life and death if you don't actually ask and find out what they're giving them, question them at least a little. Yeah. Right. And, um, Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot where I was going with this. Oh, but my blood pressure would spike. And, you know, at um, dialysis, they would give me clonidin like it was candy in center. Like literally every hour they would what check my that? blood pressure. Really? Oh, what clonidin? is clonidin? I've actually never heard of that. So clonidin is a blood pressure medicine that they give you and it reacts quickly and it um, reduces your blood pressure. But an ER nephrologist actually told me that the clonidin has a rebound effect. So yeah. if you take it consistently and it lowers your blood pressure, that's great. It'll lower it, but then it'll bounce back twice as high, like later. So that's why they would have to keep giving me more. 
And yep. so I eventually got onto this new medication, um, blood pressure meds, uh, nifedipine at the time. Okay. And my doctor pushed this so bad. And I tried it and I tried it for, you know, two, three weeks at least. And every time I took this, my blood pressure would tank to the point where I was in bed throwing up for hours. I had, you know, oh the worst my. headache. And I told him, I'm like, I can't do this. And he's like, you just got to, you know, try a little bit harder because you have to get used to the symptoms. And I'm like, I cannot. And it got to the point where I didn't take the nifedipine because I couldn't. I didn't want to nah. be sick all day. And, and was was this a was this a nephrologist that you were really familiar with, or? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, so, um, I agreed to try it, but then you know a week later I was like, you know, screw this, I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. And um, I took you know matters in my own hands, didn't take it, which obviously we don't recommend to do. But I was young, and um, it turns out I remember driving one day, and I'm like, that's weird. I need to see a eye doctor because my vision is kind of blurry. So I'm driving and I noticed that and, you know, I go a couple of days and it's getting blurrier and blurrier. So I'm like, yeah, I really need to see an eye doctor. So I made an appointment, but it wasn't going to be for a couple of days. Um, so I went home and I remember going to sleep. And when I woke up, I could not see anything. It was just black. Oh my gosh. So I called my dad and I was like, Hey, I can't see, we need to go to the hospital. So he's like, okay. So he helps me, you know, get to the car and right when we pull up to Tampa General and I'm getting out of the car, I start seizing. And I had more seizures in the waiting room. And it turns out I had what they call a uh, press syndrome. It's posterior reversible, um, I don't know what the E stands for, syndrome. And what it is, is my brain swelled and pushed on my occupable ocu- lobe because of my high blood pressure. And so oh. that's what caused the seizure, seizures. So I ended up in the ICU with that and I was still seizing. And when I woke up in the ICU, you know, my brain was swollen. So I wasn't myself. I was angry. I was very violent. I, mm. I was not myself at all. I was throwing stuff. I was screaming at people and I had like the EEG on my head and the picture that they showed me of my EEG reading, it literally looked like scrambled eggs, like a toddler drew like just random squiggles all over a piece of paper. Wow. And so I was in the ICU with that for, I think like a week before, you know, the swelling went down and we found a um, blood pressure medicine combo that worked. That was actually the new years of, I want to say 2016 was when so that when happened. So when did your eyesight come back? Um, it took about a week um, for it to come back and it came back slowly. I remember my mom gave me my phone and I could still see, see a little bit. And I was like, what's that black thing on my screen? And my mom's like, that's the picture of Zeus, my dog at the time. And I'm like, oh, because <laughs> I couldn't see clearly what it was. Wow. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. So I don't know if you know, Gabby, but I had seizures and lost my eyesight. No, I didn't. Wow. Yeah. That's so when incredible. I was pregnant, I got toxemia. And so I woke up one morning and completely blind. And so I went into wow. the doctor and the doctor was like, oh, you're dehydrated. Go get some fluid at the hospital. Well, I got to the hospital and I went into seizures and I, mine ended up being permanent. And so I have no central vision because it, during the seizures, my optic nerve and my retina and both eyes imploded. 
And yeah. so I was completely blind for about six months. And then after medication of clearing out the excess blood, I was left with no central vision. And it's been that way ever since. Wow. Did, did you have high blood pressure anything at the time or it was just kind of I a, did. something yeah, that happened? Every, oh, everything, wow. that you just, everything that you just described is what after, happened to me. After this, after this interview, I really want to do some diving into that because what if that is what Christina had? It kind of sounds exactly yeah. what happened to me as well. It does. Um, it's called P-R-E-S. Uh, or okay. That's how you spell it at least. Um, so press syndrome but yeah that's what they told me and it was the most weirdest thing in my life because I was so nasty when that happened and I didn't remember a single thing of it and when I got home I literally broke down crying because you know my memories and stuff were still coming back to me and I don't know how to explain it but when I got into my house nothing felt like it was mine it felt like I was in a stranger's house and I didn't recognize anything it's crazy because honestly, like I had the same type of experience just in a different way. Like I felt like I was like on the verge of going crazy and yes. like I was, um, so it sounds funny, but I was hallucinating that I was building houses on the ceiling and I think it's because I couldn't see anything. And so the ceiling felt like it was on top of me. I was building houses for little people. And like in my head, I knew I was going crazy. And so I kept trying to like pull myself out. And so when I would hear my mom or my dad's voice, it would pull me out of it. And otherwise, like if they weren't there and I didn't hear them, I just spun off into like no man's land. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, my mom, my poor mom, you know, I got home and the second we walked in the door, it didn't smell familiar. It didn't look familiar. And I just bawling. And my mom was like, oh my God, what do I do? She's like, yeah. how do I fix this? And I'm like, and you know, it's, you know, I guess I just remembered my mom because, you know, she was there with me the whole time between her and my boyfriend at the time, they stayed with me the entire time throughout the hospital. But, you know, it, I don't even, I can't even explain the feeling that it was that, you know, and I walked into my living room and I'm like, this is where I live and nothing felt familiar wow. at all that's that's intense yeah so it took a few days before you know i was comfortable being there but it was just an eerie feeling because i had never felt that before and it was and very so, emotional so what, did, so what did they do for your swelling brain and all that did they give you medicine did they go in and do surgery they got our blood pressure down yeah, I was in the ICU and they had the EEG on my head and they just played with different combinations of blood pressure medicines um, okay. for at least a week before they got my blood pressure down. And um, I was actually on seizure medication for a month, I believe, just to make sure that it wasn't a normal thing. And I did have to see a neurologist to make sure, you know, I didn't have any leftover lesions or anything like that. Okay, wow. It's so crazy because mine, yeah. so my blood pressure after... After they got Tyler out, um, it kept getting higher and higher. And they didn't know what to do with me at the hospital I was at. And so they sent me home. So oh I went home. And, yeah, and that night I had seizures at home. And I was taken by ambulance to a different hospital. And on the way to that hospital, I bit my tongue off during the seizures. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. And they gave me the highest dose you could give someone to pull them out of seizures. And they just told my parents, like, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. 
And luckily I came out of it, but that's when they brought in my kidney doctor and that's when they started kind of messing with my meds and changing things up there. But my blood pressure, it was high for probably three or four years after that. We couldn't find the right combination. That's insane. And, you know, for them to be like, we don't know what to do with you, you know, go home. Like, what is that? And they, they kicked me out in my gown. I left in the hospital gown because they were like, we're going to screw up and do something wrong because we don't know what to do with you. We need, we just need you out. Thanks for the confidence boost. Mm-hmm. I know, right? <laughs> wow. That's I know. Insane. So crazy. But yeah, we're going to have to look into that because yeah, the same exact thing. And maybe mine was common, but I don't continued. think I think it's common in both, you know, in dialysis and you know ckd but i don't think it's something that they i don't want to say advertise isn't the right word but there's a lot that they don't tell you and i don't know if it's because there's so much information and so many different aspects that go into it that you know it's an out it's a outcome that's different for everybody um but I, i just think there's so many things in the dialysis world that you have to learn by experience that yep. you know they don't tell you because it's not a high possibility it might happen it's you know well, and, right yeah there. and what's crazy when when they mention it or you mention it they respond back like oh yeah well we can test for that I'm like yeah. well, why won't you doing why this didn't why didn't you yeah. test five years ago you know that is exactly why i started the group because we kept on getting where christina would have a symptom and then it would be well she experienced this it's well, just because of dialysis. Yeah, well, it's this. Yeah, that's the reason I started the group was I kept on, you know, well, you, you can do this. And after surgery, they would mention something that you could have done. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, you could have told me that an hour ago. I would have changed my mind. And, like, I don't know if it happens with every, like, disease or condition. But, like, it seems like with kidney patients, like, they always say, well, that's really rare. That never happens. But it always happens to us. We are those bodies that we just don't work properly. Right. And, you know, maybe there's some stuff that does happen that they haven't discovered yet. You know, CKD has a lot that goes into it that are many different, um, I can't think of the word I'm trying to say, but, you know, there's so many things that go into it. Like, yeah. And it's so true. And like, it's funny because before I talk to people, like, mine started when I was 22 and before I talked to people I just thought my body was like broken in so many different ways and I was just completely abnormal because of how my body reacted to things and then once I started meeting people from the group it was like oh wait a minute your body does what my body's doing and it became to where I've realized that most of us in the kidney world our bodies don't work the way they expect them to work. Not at all. And, you know, there's so many um, variables, that's the word I was trying to say, that go into it. For example, for periods, you know, um, Mm -hmm. for women, you know, your period may change on dialysis or you might not not even get it at all. Like there's- Yeah, but that's one of those things they never talk to you about. And so like, I remember going like six months without a period And I had a male doctor. And so I was like, how am I going to bring this up to him, you know? And for some reason, every time I have something go wrong, I think it's my fault that I did something. 
that's just how my brain justifies it. Like, oh my gosh, what did I do now? I'm not having a period, you know? And it makes sense. Yeah. That's where everybody's brain would go. Yeah. And so I try to avoid it. And so I remember asking him finally, Hey, I haven't had a period in months. And he's like, oh yeah, that can happen. And I was like, (laughs) we always joke. And my, my doctor had this beautiful accent. And so it was always like, Oh, this could happen. This could happen. <laughs> and so to this day, we joke all the time. We're like, oh, this could happen. <laughs> yeah, it's just insane. And, you know, even with the different modalities, there's things you don't tell you. Like, I did PD for six and a half years. There are people that are able to do it for 10, 12, 15 years. But let's be realistic. PD is not meant to be done for the whole dialysis cycle that you do, you know, until you get transplanted. And I didn't know that either. I didn't know. Luckily it worked for me until it stopped working. And to be honest, looking back now, I'm kind of grateful it did because to a certain point I got complacent. I'm like, oh, well, if I have to do this for the rest of my life, that's totally fine. Like this is doable. Yeah. And I think that's when things got shaken up for me and I started doing the home hemo. I got you. I got you. So when did you start doing home hemo? Why did you start? How did you hear about it? So um, I was in center and I just did not care for my center. I loved my tech, but, and she was my tech all the time. She was amazing, but she was leaving to Puerto Rico and I was getting somebody that I didn't exactly care for as my tech. And I'm like, no, I don't trust anybody else to touch me. So I was asking about my options and my dialysis center at the time had this uh, program called experience the difference where you go in at your normal time, but instead of going to your normal chair, you're in a private room with your own nurse and they hook you up on home hemo and they show you the machine. They show you how it works. They tell you, you know, they tell you pretty much the basics. They don't get into training or anything. Um, but yes. I remember that first day I went in and I got out and I'm like, wow, I feel really good. It was only, it was a short time. It wasn't my whole chair time because, you know, obviously you don't need the whole chair time. So yeah. it was only about two hours and I got out and he's like, how do you, the nurse was asking me how I felt. And I'm like, I feel pretty good. I think I might go to the park today. He's like, see, I told you, you're going to feel a difference. And I did that for a week. And that whole week I felt fantastic afterwards. I got out by, you know, before eight o'clock and it was wonderful. I was able to have the rest of my day. And I'm like, wow, this is something I can see myself doing. And then initially I started with my chest catheter and doing that. And they're like, Hey, you know, your chest catheter is great and all, but that's not an, you know, reliable option either. You can't have that in forever. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. And I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I might as well, you know, go all in and I'm open to the idea of a fistula. So I went and they did my fistula surgery in one go instead of doing the two separate surgeries where they do the first part and then the second part and connect it all together. I got Um, you. But my first fistula failed to mature. So then I had to get a graft. um, But luckily they were able to do it in the same arm. And the graft, um, my arm looked really nasty for a while, but once it was able to use, uh, it worked perfectly my whole duration of, you know, home hemo. And it, I was really uncomfortable at the time with sticking myself. And that's right when I was doing experience a difference. And this was, I would, it was starting to be, you know, a new way of life for me. And I kind of made the decision to do this. I was looking at groups and that's how I found you guys. And so when I started cannulating and I started being more 
interactive in the group, you guys have been a blessing to me. Like you guys have mm. made me find the courage in myself and the confidence that I never even knew that I had, to be honest. Um, but yeah, you guys, you guys were so like such great help and seeing, um, Mike's videos that he posted and the information I would watch all that and just, and reading everybody's comments and posts. And I'm like, okay, you know, maybe I can do this. See, and we, we feel the exact same way. Like we, we have met all these people that like, they know so many different things and together we can close those gaps of, well, this could happen. You know, we can close them together. And so I really think like me and Mike have so appreciated everyone we've gotten to talk to because it does, it one, it validates what you're going through because I feel like this dialysis world was a solo journey for so long. And- Oh, yes. And that's such a problem. Having people to relate to is everything yeah and it's it's just like the uh i remember doing the video on uh how to chevron your needles and it was actually almost a year ago just a couple of days ago and yes. how many people responded to that of we do this we do this we do this and it and it was amazing because i saw at that time you were being you were so frustrated and but we kind of got a team together and was just kind of, Hey, we can, we do this, we do this, we do this. And even when I told Christina um, that you got your kidney, cause I mean, we, we interact with hundreds of people yep. throughout the group and all that stuff, but she knew exactly who you were because I referenced you from a year ago of, you know, talking about care partners, talking about placing them needles. And, and it's, it's just amazing how, just the transition that we watch and we've never met, but yet we've talked so many times. Yeah. Yes. And you know, too, I did the training and I have a bone to pick with the training because it's a lot of training for home hemo in just six weeks. And then yeah. I feel like they kind of feed you to the wolves. So to have yes. you guys there was like a blessing because I, I knew how to tape. I, you know, I did the training. I knew how, but you know, you go home and you kind of get a brain fart. Yeah. And oh, yeah. So to see you guys, I think what my problem was was I wasn't putting the tape, the first piece of tape, over the wings. I think I started and I was going lower, and I think that was my problem why I was having the issues with the taping. And so to see that simple fix, I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense now. And I could have called my nurse, but what are they going to tell me over the phone? How are they going? Can, they can't physically see what I'm actually doing. So yeah. and 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 that's why I've done so many videos. Because they show you in training, but then it's, well, this is how you're really going to do it. They have to show you this way. And then mm-hmm. I, you know, we joke that I micify it. And it's because you're not going to do it that way. You know, it's great that they show you that. But in real life, there are practical there's so ways many to things that they don't realize because they're not experiencing it. Right. And as soon as you get home, you know, you try to do it, you know, their way, but eventually once you adapt and get used to it, you kind of develop your own way of doing things. Yep. And it kind of just works out, you know, and you just adapt to it. But one thing I'm really grateful for is that my nurse that trained me right when I was about to go home, like a couple of days, she was like, Hey, there's going to be a little bit of hiccups because you're going to be in a new environment. And I'm really glad that she told me that. Because if I just went home expecting perfection, 
I would have yeah. been even more frustrated than I already was. Yep, it's true. Yeah, and, and I, in fact, I even remember telling you, it gets better. I promise. I promise. Once, and, and it's like almost an overnight thing where you're like, clicks. I can't handle this. I can't yeah. handle this. I can't handle this. And then no alarms. And it's like, exactly. oh, this is what it's like. And, and, and that's what I tell people, too, is I'm like, don't give up. I promise you. I promise once once you get past that brain fog of being home on your own, yep. it, it's this amazing thing of like almost like I said, almost overnight where you're like, oh, okay, all the kinks are done. I've attempted to kill myself on this machine so many times <laughs> yeah. that I've taught myself not, not to, to do any of those. Yeah. Yeah. And that's literally I think like when you when you get the alarms in center it's fine and everything, you know, but like getting an alarm at home is completely different. And once you face so many alarms, you start to have it, but you've got to get that time period of having all those alarms by yourself under your belt and retain how to fix them properly. I agree. I remember the very first week that I did my four treatments with no issues. I was crying. I was like, there's no way, like the other foot's going to drop somehow, some way, but it didn't. And I went months without, you know, having an issue. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And it's funny because, you know, they tell you, you know, things will happen. You know, sometimes, you know, you might pull the needle and you're not holding it and you might bleed. And, you know, people, when I post that online, people are like, oh my God, are you okay? That looks like a murder scene. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm fine. You know, it's just, it's burnt out like a geyser. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it does. It shoots. But I think it's also important for people to see that, to know, you know, what we go through. I mean, I know people are queasy of blood and stuff, but I think realistically people do need to see that because, you know, you never know who's going to see it. And that might be, you know, their future or somebody there, they love's future or something like that down the road. And they won't freak out completely. And I would, I would make a joke of every time I almost kill Christina, I learn a really good lesson. And, and I post videos on it because I'm like, nobody told me this or you know and and it's it's amazing like you said just that first week mm-hmm. of because we were the same way it was around christmas time all the holidays and christmas day was our first day home and i didn't know if i was going to be able to keep doing this because i would work and then i would come home i would have we do treatment nine o'clock would roll around i would go, go to, right bed, to bed and Get it up. would just be over and over again it's non-stop and yeah. You know, and on top of that, you were getting alarms. And back then I was hanging off jets and sanding. And, you know, so it was like, I don't know. Personally, myself, I was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. And then, like you said, one week happened and it was like, oh, this is what it's like. Yeah. Okay, cool. We can watch movies and we can just do treatment. I actually, going back to what you were just saying about the blood, my very first day in center dialysis, um, the guy sitting next to me, kept moving his chair and he got his line stuck in his chair. And so it ripped his needle out. And so I'm like an hour into my like first in center treatment and blood just starts spraying everywhere. And I thought for sure that guy was dying and they came over and they took care of it and got him all taken care of. And he was fine, but it was so terrifying. That, that is, I, that's another reason I didn't really care for in center either is you see things that you shouldn't, not that you shouldn't see, but it, it, I had 
a guy sees next to me on my very first day in um, clinic when I came to Tampa and my very first in-center treatment ever, the guy's catheter just slipped right out. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was yeah. like, what? Because I had a catheter too. And I'm like, is that going to happen to me? Uh, and I even had a guy pass away in center next to me too. So, yeah. you know, yeah. just. It's, yeah, you see people have heart attacks and getting taken out by ambulance. And it's true. It's it's definitely one of those places you don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. And it's, you know, those things are traumatic and they stay with you too. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about your current transplant, how you found out about that, and yeah, that, so. Okay, um, so I had a friend, her name's Giselle, and she's originally from New York, so she lives in Tampa. She did PD, I believe she was on dialysis about four years, and since she has family in New York, uh, she wasn't having any luck in, you know, the Florida area at all, because um, she was multi-listed as well in Florida. And she came to New York and when uh, we met up, she was like, hey, they have this program because she's high antibody too. She's like, they have a PRA program at NYU that you should check out. That's really good. So initially I came to New York, you know, I did all the paperwork. I came to New York for my evaluation and they explained to me that, um, I don't remember what it's called that they were doing, but it was a injection basically, or not an injection, I'm sorry, an infusion that they would do um, three months before your scheduled transplant, you would have, you know, a donor that's incompatible to you. They would give you these infusions to, and it would totally wipe out your antibodies. And um, you would be able to receive essentially that person's kidney, but you would be on, you know, more infusions, high, higher dosages of meds and even more meds than you're on post-transplant already. So we're like, okay, well, maybe my brother could do this. So we did the... Um, the evaluation for that and my brother you know they got all his information and it turns out that my brother even though my antibodies would technically be cleared my brother still wasn't they weren't comfortable transplanting his kidney in me um yeah. just because you know they didn't they didn't want to take that risk so that yeah. was kind of a bum to hear and i was upset about that but i knew something was going to pan out and so then where like they said that they can keep me on the deceased donor list and you know, I can always have people call in to be a living donor. So I said, okay. And um, so I just had a feeling that it was going to come before my birthday again, for some reason. I just, I kept on telling my friend, I'm like, I have this feeling that's gonna be in January. And so oh she's gosh. like, yeah, just roll with it. So I'm like, okay. So I'm, you know, New Year's had passed and I was, I was going through a lot in the beginning of January um, between my grandma and my mom being at the hospital and me having to recruit people that I could find to do my dialysis. Luckily, um, my dad my brother and my best friend all took turns helping me. Um, Cause that's another thing I realized too. At first I was scared to have people help me because I wouldn't know, you know, if they knew what to do or if they had to train. Yeah. But then I realized that you could just talk somebody through it. Exactly. Yeah, it's not difficult. You can. So, exactly. Um, and so my my dad and my brother, you know, they not that they're obligated to help me, but they're family and they would help me no matter what. But my best friend, she was a freaking rock star with helping me. And I was just so grateful for that because you don't find many friends that are willing to do that, you know, especially it's with true. all the blood and everything that comes. So I was so grateful for her to help me. But um while my mom and grandma are in the hospital. So I'm in bed one day um, 
and I'm sleeping. It's like one in the morning. And usually my best friend is one to call me around that time. So I hear my phone ringing and I'm like, this better not be Michelle. I'm going to chew her out. Cause it was like one in the morning. And I look at my phone and it said New York. And I'm like, okay. So I pick it up. I'm like, hello. And they're like, hi, this is NYU Transplant Center. I'm like, who? They're like, NYU Transplant Center. I'm like, okay. And they're like, we have a kidney for you. I'm like, you got a what for me? And like, yeah, we have a kidney. And I'm like, okay. So I woke up and I was like instantly up and I turned on the lights. They told me all of the information that I needed. And I started, oh, I actually had my bag packed, but I went, I woke up my mom and I started calling people that are really close to me at like one o'clock in the morning. Oh my gosh. And um, telling them. And it's actually funny because I called my cousin and she texted me the next morning as I'm getting on my plane. And she's like, did you call me at one o'clock in the morning and say you got a kidney or did I dream that? And I'm like, nope, I called you. <laughs> and she's like, okay, I thought so. Cause I saw that I had a call from my call log from you at one, but I was just curious. And she's like, that's fantastic. So I got the call about one o'clock in the morning and I was able to get on a flight by like nine o'clock AM and, or I'm sorry, no, it was a six o'clock flight. And I got to New York um, by like nine 30 and got to the hospital by about 10, 10 30. And NYU, let me just say, I am like so proud to be a patient of theirs because they are in the works of innovation and they are very efficient. I got to the hospital 1030. They got me in my pre-op room and I was done with testing within the two to three hour mark. And my dad was on his way from Costa Rica. So my friend's mom, I didn't have anybody fly in with me. It was just myself at the time. And uh, so my friend's mom that's here in New York still came and stayed with me while I was waiting for pre-op until my dad got there. So that was very sweet of her too. And I was just hanging out, you know, and they told me, they're like, yeah, we're just waiting for the kidney to come. It'll be here around five and then we'll get you in your surgery. And I'm like, okay, but I was just chilling. You know, they got all their stuff done and they came like, do you need anything? And I've never had a hospital so efficient and when I tell you there was like six people in my room at once doing all different kinds of things to me, testing wise, like taking my blood, taking an x-ray, doing this, doing that. I'm, I was so shocked. I was like, I've never experienced this type of, it kind of felt like NASCAR when everybody was doing everything at once. <laughs> That's awesome. And so, Stop. Yeah. I was like, wow, this is shocking. And um, one of the things that I was like, not happy about was the waiting time and like, you know, the not being able to eat but the time went yep. so fast so That's fast good. and it actually ended up that by the time I went into surgery and got out um my date is 1-7-2024 and my original date for my dad was one seven ninety nine. so I hey, had wait, the wait. same so how long did you have this transplant uh it'll be a month on the 7th of February mm-hmm. oh okay yeah <laughs> girl (laughs) yeah so it kind of you know God is good because I it felt like my whole life in that moment just did a full circle that I have the same date for both kidneys oh my gosh I'm so happy for you she's the one I was talking about well exactly 25 years later later. yeah okay yeah that's insane okay you have to explain that for everyone to hear so I got my original kidney from my dad he was my living donor in uh on one seven of 1999 and i got a deceased donor on one seven of 2024 exactly like 25 years later that's so so ironic insane i know was that your first call for transplant or did you get other offers 
No, I never had any other author offers, no dry ones, nothing. Wow. Okay. And I don't know if it's due to the high, um, you know, the population is higher here in New York, but my kidney didn't even come from New York. It was on the West Coast. Oh, really? Yeah, but they also here at NYU, they do this thing where they look at all of your antibodies and they look at the ones that are lower that aren't really as significant and they look for a donor with those antibodies. And I don't know mm-hmm. if that's something that they do at other hospitals, but I was listed for, gosh, more than eight years in Florida, never got anything. Wow. Huh. Yeah. That's so a long it's time pretty to crazy. Eight years. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's what kind of detrimental. What were your at? 100% when I came to New York. Okay. okay. So are mine. That's what Christina is. Yes. So we're just kind of waiting for that. So Lot of kidney for her. So. Did you have to be a New York citizen or no? Um, you can register anywhere and Medicare pays for it too. You can be on as many lists as you like. Um, so did so tell us about that. Did you have to do tests for every single one, or yes. were they able to pull from your hospital get to get the tests? No, you when you go to each transplant center, they they usually have the same qualifications, but some tests might vary here or there. So usually you have to come out and spend time doing, you know, all the tests for all the different hospitals. Um, But they were pretty good at arranging it where I was only here for about two to three days. And within those first two days, I got all my testing done and it was like back to back. So it was really quick. Okay. That's amazing. Well, maybe I might check into that. Yes. New York is amazing. The the nurses at the hospital say everybody was so happy. And I yeah, we were told that she will pretty much have to get a, a transplant from the other side of the country because she has antibodies for the Utah, California area. So, that, yeah. yeah, that that's a good Just idea. Don't lose hope because, it, and it's funny I say this now because looking back, I've had people reach out to me who were 100% and they're like, don't lose hope. You you can do this. You got this. Like, it's yeah. going to happen. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, like, thanks. Yeah, it's true. We have a chick named we have a chick named Candace that is in Washington D.C. and she got the same thing. She was 100 percent antibodies. They had no idea. I think she was 99. But she? she she got hers and she actually felt guilty because she was on dialysis a rather short period of time and she felt guilty that she got a kidney and these other people that she knows have been on for so long and they haven't and so she had a hard time kind of dealing with the kind of a survivor's kind of guilt. Yeah, I've had a couple of my friends, you know, that got transplanted that say that to me. And I'm like, don't worry about me. I'm fine. You know, I'm fine where I'm at. I'm chilling. You know, when it comes, it comes. Exactly. Yep. All right. Well, do you have any advice after doing the transplants, the dialysis, um, pretty much kind of some advice of how they can be living on dialysis, you know? Yes. Um, one of my big things is, is be your own advocate and take charge of your own health. Um, that's a big thing that yeah. I think uh, will help people because if you're in charge of your own health and you're, you know, involved and you know what's going on, then, and you're aware of your body, you know, your limitations and you know, you know, what you can and can't do, how you, you know, how long you can do it, you know, et cetera. Yeah. No, you're other, totally right. And, yeah, and, and 
And that's that's amazing because I know we have been it at some of the same events just at different dates, and mm-hmm. I cannot wait until one of our dates line up. And uh, will you be back in Florida at the end of the month? I will. I just got approval to get my scent out two days early, so I'm getting it out on Monday, and we're going back to Florida on Tuesday. Okay. Well, we will be in Florida. It's the Miami side, but we'll be in okay. Miami on the 28th. So I don't know how close that is or anything, but maybe we can arrange coffee. So yes, I would love that. I would love to meet you guys in person. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And Moose too. (laughs) Oh, of course. Yeah, Yeah, of course. He's he's a celebrity. We just we just we just walk next to him. (laughs) You guys are his accessories. We are so close to being out of time, but it is amazing how how in depth your story was. Yeah. Because I had absolutely no idea, and we've known each other for years now. And it's amazing how, how much you learn by just listening to somebody's story. And so we will blast this all over the internet. Yeah. You do the same thing. And I will. Like, just like that uh, brain swelling thing, you know, we learn something new by just having a little conversation. So yep. yeah. And I hope that was able, you know, you guys are able to do research and that, you know, you can find if that's something that Christina went through, because that sounds very similar to what I did. Yeah, that's crazy similar. Exactly. So uh, we'll wrap this up. This is Mike. And Christina. And who are we talking to? Gabby Morales. And so uh, I guess we're done, yeah? Yeah. All right, peace out. Living on dialysis. Keep living. Thank you so much. Hey, this was Blind Chick Living Podcast. And if you liked what you heard... Hit that follow button and like it and share it. The more people that know about kidney disease and dialysis, the better. And uh, if you have any questions that you want answered or you have a comment about a transplant or your medical journey, um, in the about section, there's a voicemail uh, link. Go ahead and click on that. Send us your question. We'll answer it on the next podcast.